Chapter Seven of *The Tiger of Mysore* by G. A. Henty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Harris. *The Tiger of Mysore* by G. A. Henty. Chapter Seven: Besieged. Dick hastily clambered up the wall, ran to the gate, blew the tinder, and then applied it to the slow match. A moment later, this began to fizz. "'Round the corner of the wall, Surajah!' he exclaimed, running back himself. A few anxious seconds passed, then came a sharp explosion. In an instant they ran up. The gate stood two or three inches open. It yielded to a push, and they ran out. Loud shouts were heard from the men above, and a hubbub of cries from the guardhouse. "'Run, Surajah! We must risk it! Keep on the edge of the road and dodge as you go. The chances are they will run down below to see what has happened.' At the top of their speed they dashed down the road. No shot was fired from the wall. Dick's conjectured that the first impulse of the sentries would be to run down below, having been justified. They were a couple of hundred yards away before two shots were fired from the gate. The bullets whistled by harmlessly. "'We're all right now,' Dick cried. "'They can scarcely see us, and we shall soon be out of sight altogether.' Five or six more shots were fired a few seconds later, as the men from the guardhouse reached the gate. On looking back, when they had gone another hundred yards, they saw a number of figures on the road. "'Not quite so fast, Surajah,' Dick said. "'It's going to be a long chase now. "'We have got three hundred yards start, "'and they won't be able to load again running at full speed.' "'For a time their pursuers gained somewhat upon them. "'Then gradually they began to straggle "'as the effect of the speed at which they were running told upon them. "'When they reached the ruined village "'there were four men running together, "'some three hundred yards behind. "'The rest were a considerable distance in the rear. "'Another mile or two, and they'll all give up the chase "'except these four, Surajah.' and if they turn out to be better runners than we do, we can make a stand. There are some more huts another two miles further on, and we'll fight them there. They were going slower now, for although the downward course of the road helped them a good deal, the run was telling on them. Not a word was spoken until they reached the second village. When they came to the first house, they stopped simultaneously and looked around. Their pursuers were not more than two hundred yards behind them. In here, Surajah, Dick said, as he ran into the ruined hut. Its roof was gone, its door hung loose on its hinges. It had but one window, a small one, looking up the valley. Dick laid his gun on the sill, which was nearly level with his shoulder. "'I must wait until they get pretty close,' he said, "'for I am panting so that I can't keep the barrel steady, even with this rest.' "'I will kneel down outside,' Surajah said. "'Mind, I will fire first, Surajah. Don't you fire until they are within twenty yards of you. By that time I shall have loaded again.' Dick had more time than he had expected, for as soon as their pursuers saw them enter the hut, they slackened their pace considerably. They were within about eighty yards when Dick held his breath and, standing for a moment immovable, took a steady aim and fired. One of the men stumbled in his run, took a step or two forward, then fell on his face. The others paused for a moment, and then, with a fierce yell, ran forward. The moment he had fired, Dick dropped the stock of his gun onto the ground, snatched a cartridge from the bandolier, bit off the end, and emptied the powder into the barrel gave the gun a shake so as to be sure that it ran into the touch-hole, and then rammed down the bullet. As he was in the act of doing so, Surajah fired, and a loud yell told that his shot had been successful. Dick sprang to the door as Surajah entered. Two shots at the same instant rang out, but at even so short a distance the bullets went wide. Dick stepped out and in turn fired. One of the two remaining men fell, the other threw down his musket and fled up the road. Ah, oh, thank goodness that is over!' Dick exclaimed. I thought they had no chance with us, and here, now, the first thing is to get our wind again. 
They stood for two or three minutes, breathing heavily. Then, as their breath came again, they prepared to move, when Dick exclaimed suddenly, "'What, what is that noise?' There was a dull, confused sound in the air, and then Surajah, pointing up the road, exclaimed, "'Cavalry!' Far away on the white road a dark mass could be seen. At first Dick instinctively turned to resume their flight, but then he said, "'It's of no use, Surajah. The sides of the valley are too steep to climb, and they'll be up in five or six minutes. We must fight it out here. Run out to that man I shot, and bring in his gun, bandolier, pistols, if he has any, and sword. I'll take them from these two. It'll make all the difference having spare weapons.' Surajah, without a word, hurried up the road, while Dick ran over to the house opposite, which seemed to be larger than the one they had first entered. He looked round. It contained only one room, but this was twenty feet square. There were three small windows, one looking into the street, one looking up the valley, and one behind. The floor was littered with the beams of the roof. The door was still in its place, having ascertained this. He ran back to the bodies of the two men, picked up the three guns, took off their bandoliers, and removed the pistols from their sashes and with these and one of their swords returned to the house, just as Surajah came back. This is the best house to defend, Surajah. There are some beams with which we can block up the door. Laying down the arms inside, they set to work with the beams and barricaded the door so firmly that, short of its being splintered to pieces, no entry could be effected. This done, they recharged the six guns, examined the pistols, and, finding that they were loaded, placed three of them in each of their sashes, and hung the swords by their sides. Then they went to the window, looking up the valley. The horsemen, some twenty in number, were but a short quarter of a mile away, and were coming along at a gallop. "'Don't fire, Surajah,' Dick said. "'They will have heard from the man who has got away that we are in the house opposite, and if they don't find us there, they'll think that we have gone on, and will ride down the valley till they are sure they must be ahead of us. Then they will search the ground carefully as they come back, and although we may gain an hour, and every moment is of use, it must be, what, two o'clock now, and our troop generally gets here soon after seven. As he spoke, the horsemen drew up in front of the opposite hut. There was a momentary pause, and then a voice said, "'It is empty!' Then followed the command, "'Ride on, men. They can't have got far. We shall overtake them in ten minutes.' As soon as they started, Dick said, "'Take a ramrod, Surajah, and make some holes through the walls to fire through. If we were to show ourselves at the windows, we might get shot. The walls were built of mud and clay, and with the iron ramrods they had no difficulty in making four holes, an inch wide and two inches high, on each side of the house.' "'Now we are ready for them,' Dick said, when they had finished. "'They have been gone half an hour, and it won't be long before they're back.' In a few minutes they heard the clatter of horses' hoofs. It ceased some forty or fifty yards away, and by the sound of voices and orders it was evident that the other houses were being searched. Voices were also heard at the back of the house, and they guessed that the ground was being closely examined, up to the foot of the rock walls which enclosed the valley. "'Now, Surajah, you can take a shot from the window of that side.' The others will be here in a minute, and it's just as well to let them know where we are before they get close up to our door. Surajah went to the window at the back. Four horsemen were making their way at a walk along the level ground between the rocks and the huts. The nearest was but some forty yards away. Surajah fired, and the man at once fell from his horse. The others instantly galloped on at full speed up the valley, and from the window at the end Surajah saw them gather on the road three or four hundred yards away, and then, after a short consultation, crossed to the other side of the valley, with the intention, he had no doubt, of rejoining their comrades. The sound of the gun had been followed by shouts and exclamations from the party in the village. Dick could hear a conference in low tones, then all was silent. He went to the loophole at the corner, laid his rifle in it, and waited, looking along the barrel. Two or three minutes later the hole was darkened, and he fired at once. There was a sound of a heavy fall, followed by cries of rage, and a moment later 
there was a rush of men against the door. Surajah ran across. Two spare guns were pushed through the loopholes, one on each side of it. These had not been bored straight through the wall, but at angles that would enable them to fire at anyone attacking it. Looking along the barrels, each could see one of the group in front and fired at the same moment. With a yell of rage and surprise, the assailants of the door sprang back and ran down the street. "'Well, there are four less now, anyway,' Dick said, as he and Surajah reloaded the empty guns. "'Those loopholes will puzzle them, and I don't think they'll care to come on again for a bit.' There was a pause for some minutes, and then from the huts opposite, and from various points higher up the valley and behind, a dropping fire was opened. "'Keep out of the line of the windows, whatever you do, Surajah, and it will be just as well to lie down for a bit until we see whether any of their shots come through the wall.' I think we're quite safe from the distant fire, but from the house opposite it's possible they may penetrate it. Anyhow, don't stand in the line of a loophole. A stray ball might find its way in. For a few minutes the enemy fired away unanswered, and then Dick, who had been seated on the ground with his back against the end wall, got up and went along that facing the street, carefully examining it. I don't think any of their balls have come through, Surajah. I should be able to see out into the moonlight if they've done so. Now it's time for us to be doing something. I expect they're getting a little bolder and will perhaps give us a chance. You take this loophole. It's exactly in a line with the opposite hut, and the fellows in there must come to their door to fire. I'll take this slanting hole by the doorpost. I can see one of the windows of the next hut that we're in. I have no doubt that they're firing from there also. Don't wait for them to shoot, but fire directly a figure shows itself. In a very short time Surajah fired. Dick heard the clatter of a gun as it fell to the ground. You've hit him, Surajah. Yes, but only wounded him. I think I hit him in the shoulder. He let his gun drop and ran into the house. Take a spare gun at once. If there are others there, they will think what you are loading, and may show themselves again. A moment later Dick saw a gun thrust out through the window he was watching, then the head and shoulders of a man appeared behind it. Dick fired, and the figure disappeared. Almost at the same time, Surajah fired again. I had one that time, Sahib. It was now quiet for some little time. Then a horseman dashed suddenly past and galloped up the valley at full speed. The end window, Surajah, bring him down if you can. Surajah ran there and fired. I have missed him, he said in a tone of deep disappointment. Well, it doesn't make much difference. If you had hit him, they could have sent another off close to the opposite side of the valley. There is no doubt as to what he has gone for. You see, they've lost six and one wounded. They must know that they have not the slightest chance of taking this hut. I have no doubt he has ridden back to bring down the infantry from the fort. From the number of huts round the gate and the sound of talking, I should think they were fifty or sixty, at least, perhaps a hundred. If they send down fifty, we shall have sharp work. Our difficulty will be to prevent them from making a rush at all the windows together. If they were to get there, they could riddle us with balls. Could we block them up, Sahib? That's just what I was thinking. We might try, anyhow. It'll be an hour, an hour and a half before they're down here. It must be past four now, and in another hour daybreak will begin... There is any amount of the old thatch down by the floor. The best way would be to fill up the window holes with it first, then to put two or three bits of wood across and a strong piece down behind it, and to keep that in its place by wedging one of the long beams against it. If they come up and try to pull the thatch out, we can fire through it with our pistols, and we'll make a loophole below each when we've got the work done. It was not so difficult a business as they thought it would be. The windows were little more than a foot across and two feet high. It was but the work of a few minutes to fill these up with the masses of thatch, when this was done, they picked out thick pieces of wood for crossbars. Then they took a beam, eight feet long, made a hole with their tulwars in the clay floor close to the wall, put one end of the beam into it, and reared it upright against the window. Dick held it in place while Surajah hacked a deep notch in it, a by no means difficult matter if it was half rotten with exposure. The notch was cut just opposite the middle of the window. The three cross pieces were then put into their place, and the upright pressed firmly against them. 
One end of a long beam was placed in the notch, and the other in a slight hole made in the ground, thus forming a strut which held the rest firmly in their positions. "'That's a good job done,' Dick said, but a very hot one. Now, Surajah, sharpen three or four pieces of wood, and drive them down into the ground at the foot of that strut. Then it will be as firm as a rock.' They then proceeded in the same way with the other two windows. "'It's getting light fast,' Dick said, as he wiped the perspiration from his face. "'Take a look out up the valley. They ought to be coming by this time.' Surajah applied his eye to one of the loopholes. Oh, "'I can see them. They're half a mile away. There are two mounted men. I expect one is their officer, and the other the man who rode back to fetch him.' "'Let us set to work at the loopholes under the windows, Surajah. It's most important to get them done. You make the one at the end. I'll do that one looking into the street.' put it as close to the beam as you can. They worked hard, and it was not long before the walls were pierced. Now, Surajah, you do the one at the back. The fellows will soon be within range, and I'll give them a lesson to be careful. They will naturally break up and go round behind the houses opposite, as they can find shelter nowhere else, and for a bit, at any rate, we shall get them all on one side of us, which is what we want. Dick carried the six guns to the end of the hut, and then applied his eye to the loophole there. The enemy were coming along at a run in a confused mass. "'I can't very well miss them,' he muttered to himself, as he thrust his gun through a loophole and fired. Without waiting to see the result, he thrust another gun out, aimed, and fired. "'Never mind the hole, Surajah,' he said. "'Come here and reload.' The four other shots were discharged in rapid succession. The Mysoreans at first opened an irregular fire on the hut. When the sixth shot was fired, they left the road in a body and ran across the valley, leaving four of their number on the ground behind them. As soon as the guns were reloaded— Surajah returned to his work. It was now broad daylight, and the sun was shining upon the hilltops. A quarter of an hour passed without a movement from the enemy. Dick and his companion occupied the time in further strengthening the door with crossbeams, kept in their place by struts. If they break it to splinters, Dick said, when they had finished, they'll hardly be able to force their way in, for if they were able to try to crawl in between those crossbeams, they'd be completely at our mercy. Now we must get ready for a rush. I expect they'll come all together. There are the six guns and three pistols each. Keep one of the latter in reserve. We ought not to waste a shot, and if they lose ten men I should think they'll give up the attack on the door. Stand clear of it, Surajah. They'll probably fire into it before they charge. Keep down below the level of the loopholes. Presently a volley of musketry was fired, and the door was riddled by bullets. Then a number of figures sprang from between the two opposite houses and rushed at the door. Two of them carried a long, heavy beam. Two shots flashed out in return from the hut. One of the men carrying the beam fell, as did an officer who was leading them. But instantly another caught up the end of the timber, and in a moment a crowd were clustered round the door. Several caught hold of the beam and swung it as though they meant to use it as a battering ram. Two more puffs of smoke spurted out from the loopholes, and again two of the men fell. Two others, however, swung it forward with a crash against the door. The end of the beam went right through the rotten woodwork. Dick and Surajah fired their last musket shots with as deadly effect as before. The next blow dashed the door from its hinges, and, split and shattered by the former shocks, it fell forward into the road, while a yell of triumph broke from the Mysoreans. This died away, however, when they saw the three crossbars blocking their entrance. Again two pistol-shots carried death among them. "'Load your guns, Surajah!' But before Surajah had time to do so, the Mysoreans made a rush at the door. The defenders stepped forward and fired between the crossbars, and then, drawing their tulwars, ran the two men in front through the body. As they dropped, those behind them drew back. "'The last pistols!' Dick shouted, and they fired two shots into the crowd. This completed the consternation of the enemy. It seemed to them that the defenders possessed an unlimited supply of firearms. Already twelve shots had been fired, and not one had failed to take effect. 
With a cry of consternation they fled down the street, leaving the ground in front of the fatal door strewn with bodies. The defenders instantly set about the work of recharging their firearms. They were not interrupted, but presently an irregular fire opened upon them from the jungle that had taken the place of the garden between the opposite houses. "'We may as well lie down at full length,' Dick said, setting the example. "'There's no use in running risks. You keep that side and listen attentively. It's likely enough that they'll work round behind next time and try the windows. By the way, they are firing. I fancy they are not more than five or six of them opposite.' Another half-hour passed. Then Surajah exclaimed, "'I can hear them on this side.' Dick got up and crossed at once. I'll take the loophole under this window. You go to the one at the end. I expect they'll try both windows at once. Dick placed the muzzle of his gun in the loophole, and, glancing along, saw that something dark barred his view. He fired at once. There was a loud cry and a fall, then a rush to the window, and a moment later a hole appeared in the thatch. Dick discharged two pistols through it, and as he did so, Surajah fired. The thatch was speedily pulled down, as the enemy had learned to avoid the loopholes. A yell of rage rose as the fallen thatch showed them that the window was defended with crossbars in the same way as the door. Immediately afterwards, Dick had a narrow escape from a shot fired through a loophole close to him. Stoop down, he cried, and crouching below the level of the loopholes, made his way to the end of the hut. Recharge the guns first, Surajah. They may fire away through the loopholes as long as they like. It's lucky we made them so high, except the three under the windows. We must be careful in keeping out of the line of those. You sit down where you can command the end window and the one behind. I'll watch the front window and the door. A bold fellow might put his musket through and pick one of us off, and that's what we have to prevent. So keep your gun in readiness, and if you see a head appear, don't miss it. The enemy now kept up a constant fire through the loopholes at the end and back of the house, but as these were shoulder-high and there was no altering the elevation of the guns, the shots flew harmlessly over the heads of the defenders. Several times, in fact, Dick went to one or the other of the loopholes, pistol in hand, and standing close beside it waited until a shot was fired, and then thrusting the barrel into the loophole fired before another gun could be inserted, the discharge being generally followed by a sharp cry of pain. After this had gone on for nearly an hour, the assailants evidently became discouraged. The shots came from the loopholes less frequently, and presently ceased altogether. "'I would give a good deal to know what they're up to,' Dick said after a long pause. "'Shall I look through the loopholes?' so did I ask. "'Certainly not. There'll be a man standing at each of them.' waiting in expectation of our taking a lookout, But there are none in front. That's more than we can say. They have not been firing on that side, but they may have men there now. No, we'll leave well enough alone, Surajah. The longer they delay, the better for us. Keep your eye on the top of the wall, as well as on the window. They may have made some ladders by this time, and may intend to try a shot. Perhaps they are gone, Surajah suggested. Well, it's quite possible. They must know that our troop comes up here early and as they have four miles to walk back to the fort and several wounded to carry with them, they certainly won't stay much longer, if, as you say, they have not gone already. It was indeed well that Surajah had not attempted to look out at one of the loopholes, for at the time he asked the question a dark figure was standing at each, looking along the barrel of his gun, in readiness to fire the moment the light was obscured. A few minutes later Dick exclaimed, "'How stupid! We can easily test whether there's any one of their Surajah and taking up a piece of thatch, he pushed it suddenly across one of the loopholes. No shot followed the action, and he went round the hut and repeated the experiment at each of them. "'They've all gone,' he said confidently. Had they been outside, they would certainly have fired directly the light was obscured. Standing a short distance back from the end window, he looked out between the cross-beams. "'Hooray!' he shouted. "'There they go up the road. They're a quarter of a mile away. They're not more than half as strong as they were when they came down.' and they're carrying eight or ten figures on their shoulders on litters or doors. 
I don't see the cavalry, Surajah said, as he joined him. No, it's likely enough that they may be in hiding among the huts opposite, and are waiting in hopes that we may be foolish enough to take it for granted that they are all gone and pull down the bars of the door. I expect they'll stay until they see our troop coming up the valley. They continued to look out from the window, from which they had now removed the bars. Half an hour later Dick exclaimed, There they go, up that side of the valley. I have no doubt they saw our troop, and that in a few minutes we shall hear them coming. It was not long before they heard a trampling of horses, and a moment later the Rajah's voice exclaimed, Why, what is this? Here are a dozen dead bodies. They are Mysoreans by their dress. All right, uncle, Dick shouted. We'll be out as soon as we get these bars down. We've been standing a siege. It did not take long to remove the bars. The Rajah and his men had dismounted as soon as some of the latter had gone round the hut, and had brought back the report that there were five more dead on that side. As Dick and his companion stepped out, the Rajah explained, What? Are you alone? Yes, there is no one with us, uncle. Do you mean to say that you two have defended this place alone and killed sixteen of the enemy, besides some I see lying farther up the road? Yes, uncle. You see, it was a pretty strong position, and we had time to block up the doors and windows, and to make loopholes to fire through. What do you think of that, Anwar? the Rajah explained to the captain of the troop. My nephew and Rajbulub's son have shown themselves brave fighters, have they not? It is wonderful, the captain said, and exclamations of admiration broke from the men standing round. Tell us all about it, Dick, the Rajah went on. Well, it, it's a long story, uncle, but the real news is that Tippoo, with his army, has left the head of the western passes and has gone to Serengapatam. He is going to march down one of the passes this side at once. Provisions have been collected for his army to consume on the march. No one knows yet which pass he'll come down by, but it will not be far from here, for they are buying up cattle in the villages at the top of the ghats. That is important indeed, Dick, and we must ride off without delay. But first I must have a look at this fortress of yours. He entered the hut, the soldiers crowding in after him, and examined the defences at the windows and the loopholes, while Dick explained how the bars had been arranged to defend the door. We began on the other side, uncle. We had a fight with four men who came up with us there. Only one of them got away, and he left his gun behind. It was lucky, for their guns and pistols were of immense use to us. We could not have held out with only our own weapons. About twenty of their cavalry came up a few minutes afterward. We beat them back, and then they sent up to the fort for infantry, and about fifty men came down and attacked us just at sunrise. They kept it up to within half an hour ago. Then the infantry marched back, knowing, of course, that your troop generally got here about seven. The horsemen stayed here till within a few minutes of your arrival. No doubt they thought that we should suppose they had all gone and might venture out and let them get a shot at us. Why, it must have been a veritable battle, Dick. Well, there was a good deal of noise, Uncle, though not much danger. So long as we kept below the level of the loopholes and windows and out of the line of the door, there was no chance of our being hit. They must have made a strong attack on the door, the Rajah said. I see that the two lying next to it were both killed by sword thrusts. Yes, that was the most critical moment, Uncle. We had emptied nearly all our barrels, and if they could have broken down the bars, which I have no doubt they could have done, if they had stuck to it, they would have made very short work of us. Now, let us be going, the Rajah said. You can tell me the whole story as we go along. Two of the Soars were ordered to give up their horses to Dick and Surajah, and to mount behind comrades. Then they started down the valley, Dick riding between his uncle and the captain, while Surajah took his place with the two other officers of the troop. They rode so rapidly that Dick's story was scarcely concluded by the time they reached the village where the troops were quartered. "'Well, you have done marvellously well, Dick,' his uncle said. "'Surajah deserves the highest praise, too. Now I will write a note to the British officer with the Nabob, giving the news of Tippoo's movements, and will send it off by two of the troopers, 
at once. Where Colonel Maxwell's force is, I have no idea. It marched to join General Meadows on the day we came up here. In the meantime, you can have a wash while breakfast is cooking. I have no doubt that you're ready for it. I am indeed, Uncle. We have had nothing yesterday but a few cakes made of flour and water, and have nothing at all since. All right, lad. I'll be ready almost as soon as breakfast is. After the meal was over, the Rajah lit his hookah and said, You must go through the story again this evening, Dick. You cut short some of the details, as you told it to me on the road, and I want to understand it all thoroughly. You'd better turn in now for a long sleep. You must want it badly enough, lad, after the work of the last two nights. Dick slept until his uncle roused him at six o'clock. Dinner will be ready in ten minutes. It's just as well that you should get up for two or three hours. After that you'll be good for another sleep till morning. We shall have to look out sharp now and keep a couple of vedettes always at that village, as, for all we know, this may be the pass by which Tippoo is coming down. Dick got up rather reluctantly, but he was not long in shaking off his drowsiness, and after dinner was able to go through the story again with full details of his adventures. I don't know what I should have done without Surajah, uncle. He is a capital fellow, and if ever I go up by myself into Mysore to look for my father, I hope that you will let me take him. That I will certainly do, Dick. Ever since I first heard of your plans, I have quite decided that you ought not to go alone. I dare say I should have chosen an older man to accompany you, but after what you and the lad have done together, I don't think you could do better than take him. Of course, such an affair would demand infinitely greater caution and care, though not greater courage, than you had occasion to use on this excursion. It's one thing to enter a village, to ask a few questions, make a purchase or two, and be off again, but it is a very different thing to be among people for weeks or perhaps months, and to live as one of themselves. However, we may hope that this war will end in our army marching to Seringapatam, when we shall recover many of the prisoners in Tipu's hands. I do not say all. We know how many hundreds remained in his power last time, in spite of his promise to deliver them all up, and maybe something of the same sort will occur next time. Numbers may be sent away by him to the hill fortresses dotted all over the country, and we should never be able to obtain news of them. However, we must hope for the best. The next morning the troop arrived with a letter from the English resident at Arcot. The Rajah glanced through it and handed it to Dick with the remark, "'You will not get the honour you deserve, Dick,' the letter ran. "'Dear Rajah, your news would be extremely valuable were it correct, but unfortunately it is not so, and doubtless the reports brought down by your nephew were spread by Tippoo for the purpose of deceiving us. Or possibly he may have intended to come that way, but afterwards changed his mind.' We have news that just after Colonel Maxwell effected his junction with General Meadows near Kaviripatam, and was about to ascend the Ghats by the Tabor Pass, Tipu came down by that very route, slipped past them, and is marching on to Krikonopoli. That being the case, I see no further utility in your remaining with your troop in the passes, but think it were best that you should reassemble them at once and march here. There is no chance of Tipu capturing Trichinopoly before Meadows, who is following him, can come up and force on a battle so it's likely that the Mysore army may continue their march in this direction, in which case every fighting man will be of use to defend this place until it is relieved by the general. Dick uttered an exclamation of disgust as he laid the letter down. It does not matter about my news turning out wrong, he said, but it's very bad that General Meadows should have allowed Tipu to pass him, as he may do frightful damage to the country before he can be overtaken. He never can be overtaken as long as he chooses to keep ahead. He is hampered with no baggage train, he lives on the plunder of the country he passes through, and the British army, with all its baggage and provision train, has no more chance of overtaking him than it has of flying. Messengers were at once sent off to call in the scattered portions of the troop. 
These were assembled in twenty-four hours and at once started for Arcot, where they arrived after a two days' march. There they learned that Tippoo had appeared before Trichinopoly, and after pillaging and laying waste the sacred island of Seringam, had marched north. Day after day news arrived of the devastation of his committing on his march. At Thyagur, however, he met with a serious repulse. Great numbers of the inhabitants from the surrounding country had crowded into the town with their valuables, and Tippoo, expecting a rich booty, attacked the town. But although its fortifications were insignificant, the little garrison was commanded by Captain Flint, the officer who had so bravely defended Wandiwash in the previous war, and two assaults were repulsed with serious loss. At Trinoli, thirty-five miles further north, he was more successful, capturing the town and putting the inhabitants to the sword. Here Tippoo changed his course and marched for Pondicherry, capturing Permacoil by the way. The news that Tippoo had changed his course to the southeast was received with great joy at Arcot, although confident that this capital would be able to resist any sudden attack the belief had been general that the whole territory would be laid waste, as it had been by Hyder, and hopes were now entertained that the British army would arrive in time to bar Tippoo's further progress. End of chapter 7. Recording by Mike Harris.